0: Well, trust is what we've been talking about, and trust is a, um, is a relationship word. Trust is you're having trust in a person or trust in, in some sort of entity, and we, we've been dealing with trust with, with this kind of ideal throughout, that, that love is the basis of trust, not clarity. It's not having all of your facts in order, but love is the basis of trust, and, and, and so as we've been looking at that, it made me think, you know, there, there are different levels of trust, and there are different ways that you trust other people. Um, I have a mechanic in Trenton, uh, near Trenton, named Earl. And I've been taking, really, his name's Earl. Everybody go, oh, come on, really? Yeah, his name's Earl. And I've been taking my car, car, cars to Earl for years. And, he, you know, he, I, I trust him because he's competent and he's honest you know, I know he's going to give me a fair price. I know he's going to do a good job. I've never had any complaint. But, you know, not one time after I've got done with taking a vehicle to him has Earl said, you know, Paul, I want you to know that I really love you. <laughs> Seriously, he's never said that to me. I can't, has anybody ever had a mechanic tell you? Probably some of you have had a mechanic after you've paid a big bill tell you they love you real deeply, right? But, but Earl's never said that to me. And, and it made me think, well, there's different levels of trust. There's, there's, there's a level of trust that you put your faith in a mechanic or an accountant or, or someone simply because you know they're trustworthy and they're competent. But when we're talking about trust and, and we're talking about trusting God and, and, and trusting each other, there's a trust that goes deeper than just the ideal that someone is honest incompetent. That, that's a good thing. You want people to be honest and competent. And even in a love relationship, you want people to be honest and competent. But, but there's a trust that goes deeper than that. Um, the, the marriage trust, the trust you have in a marriage relationship. I trust Terry. And it's not just because she's honest and competent, and Terry is honest and competent. She is, let me let me tell you what, if, if somebody gives her a dollar extra and change, she's going back to take the dollar back, uh, you know, if, even if it cost her $10 to do it. Terry is honest as the day is long. She's competent. It, it, but, but my trust is not just based on her honesty, but her love. Trust me, moves beyond just what it knows and, and trust because someone's competent or honest and you know our trust with God has to move within the confines of his great love that the greater we see his love, I believe the greater we can trust God. I think about this place and 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 where we're going and, and what God wants to do. do you realize? And I'm probably going to end this series talking about this. I, I've kind of prayed about this and think that God needs us to talk about this. If we want to seize in this place, if we want to live where God wants us to live in this church, we have to trust each other. There has to be a level where, where maybe even maybe even if we go in a direction of uh, you know let's use a silly example. Let's say we paint all the chairs blue. <laughs> And we're not planning on doing that. So so nobody go out and post that pastor said, uh, but maybe we don't agree with every decision that's made, but we can trust one another enough to love one another, even with differences. Can we hear an amen to that? We've got to trust one another. You've got to be able to trust your pastor, and and your pastor's got to be able to trust you. And you're coming from a situation, and and this isn't in my notes, but this is just kind of where God's kind of leading me in my heart the last few days. You, you know, you've got to be able to trust me enough, and you're coming from a situation where you had a pastor for twenty three years, and you loved him, and you trusted him, and now you got this weird looking new guy, and there's no pulpit in front of him, and he just kind of runs at you every once in a while, and you've got to learn to trust me, and I've got to learn to trust you. And in and, and every church, in every body, uh, every, every organization, there's times where someone's let you down, and sometimes it's intentionally, and sometimes it's unintentionally, and, and there's this vulnerability where you just have to trust. Trust is a big word. And I want you to know this morning that if we want to get where God wants us to go, We've got to trust him, and we've got to trust each other. And when we trust him, and we trust each other, and we we see something bigger than ourselves, God can do something bigger than us. So he's calling us to trust, and trust him primarily. We begin with this idea that we trust God, and, and I can trust God because I believe God loves me. I believe and, and I, I I hear the word, I hear the scriptures, and it's been preached my entire life this this God of love he loves me and, and so I can trust God first and foremost because I believe that God desperately intimately pursues and loves me and that's the beginning but but you know love is kind of an interesting thing it's god 's love has to be received. See, love is a gift. Love is not something that's earned. It's, it's not as if I, I live my life and when I get to heaven, God owes me something. Everything that God gives me is based on his love and it's a gift. For Whether you are Uh, beginning in your Christian walk, or whether you've been entirely sanctified for 60 years, let me tell you, it's all based on God's grace and God's love. And so, it's a gift. God gives us this gift of love and life, and and gifts have to be accepted. My, My first pastor that I worked with on staff... Uh, Dan Walters and Josh was at that church. He'd always use the example of a, a pen. And I don't have a pen, but he, he'd hand somebody a pen and say, you know, for this gift to be truly a gift, you have to receive it. You know, if you have unwrapped presents under your tree and you never unwrap them, guess what? That The gift has never been given or received. A gift has to be accepted. And, and God's love is a gift. And I'm concerned that in the church, many people, for a lot of reasons, just simply never unwrap that great gift of God's love. And I think part of it is with forgiveness. See, it's impossible to live in the love of God if we cannot accept the forgiveness of God. See, see, this concept of, of, of love and forgiveness, they are closely connected in, in relationship, in our relationship with God, in our relationship with each other, the ideal of forgiving and giving and receiving forgiveness and loving and, and caring for one another. These are concepts that are intimately linked. And in, in a marriage relationship, in any, any personal relationship, there's this ideal of loving and forgiving. Now, I I know in in my teenage years, it seemed like there was a phrase, and it may have been Ziggy that said it. (laughs) Nobody knows who Ziggy is anymore, but I think Ziggy had a a cartoon. He said something to the effect, love means never having to say I'm sorry. Does anybody remember that other than me? Yeah? I don't think that's true. (laughs) I've found in my life that love means that I am able to say I'm sorry. As a matter of fact, the more I love someone, the more apt I am to say, hey, I'm sorry. I really missed it here. And in my relationship with my kids, that, as a father, there's been times that I've apologized to my boys because I messed up. <laughs> my relationship with my wife, there's times I have to say I'm sorry. And probably I don't say it Enough. But this concept of forgiveness and, and, and love and, and saying you're sorry, it, it's part of our language and they're connected thoughts. And I thought about God's love and, and, and his forgiveness. And, and when I read scripture, I see God's love and forgiveness as kind of intertwined concepts as well. John 3, 16, um, 17 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And in other words, that this whole ideal of God loving us is somehow tied to, to God forgiving us. And, and these two great concepts go together. And, and the ideal of God's love being a, a part and the fullness of his forgiveness. See, I think forgiveness living in the forgiveness of God's love is is the beginning of love. And until we accept God's forgiveness, we can't accept God's love. You know, God's wanting to give us the gift of his love, and until we get to that point of accepting forgiveness, then we really can't receive God's love in full. And I think you see this in the life of Peter and We talked about Peter a couple weeks ago. You know, Peter's one of the disciples that's part of the inner circle. You know, the three, James and... And John and Peter are the inner circle. You know, when Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration, there's Peter, James, and John. When, when you know, They're the ones that are closest, seemingly closest to, to Jesus. And, and, and I would say something. I think there were four in the inner circle. And I think the fourth one was Judas. See, we don't like to think of Judas in that capacity. But Judas kept the books and kept the money. And you're, you're not keeping the books and keeping the money unless you're part of the inner circle. So they kind of stop talking about Judas because it doesn't seem right that someone in the inner circle would be the great betrayer. But Peter's part of it. And we see with all these great things in his life, he's, he's the one that we saw two weeks ago walks on the water. No, no other disciple walks on the water, and I don't think anybody else in history other than Jesus has walked on the water unless it was ice, <laughs> but Peter does. He's the one that makes the great confession when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, I'm going to build my rock on that confession. You are Peter. He changes his name because of the great confession. Peter is the the one that, that, that... has this great boldness and he walks on the water and he does all these things and sometimes his boldness leads him to a little bit of trouble. Jesus is talking about the crucifixion and and Peter's the one that steps up and says, no, no, you're not going to be crucified. And the same disciple that Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church, this is the same disciple that Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) He has these times of boldness where where, where in in the upper room he says, if everyone deserts you, if everyone leaves your side, I'm going to stick right with you. We find Jesus being arrested in the garden, and in one of the accounts, it's Peter that's close enough that he draws a sword and, and pulls it and slices off somebody's ear. And uh, that's pretty good target practice. He wasn't trying to kiss. just trying to get that ear, you know. And Jesus, of course, heals it. So Peter's this, this bold disciple that's in the inner circle. It, it's Peter that's all the disciples have deserted Jesus, but Peter's close enough to put himself in peril. And then it's Peter that three times denies Jesus after he's been arrested. You know, I thought about that. Only one of the Gospels give the account of Peter walking on the water, but every one of the Gospels talk about him denying Jesus. You know, Peter could have used a better PR guy, couldn't you, Joe? (laughs) You know, can can we talk about, if you're going to talk about my failures, can you talk about my successes? but, But every one of the Gospel writers talk about, peter failing and then at the end of it all in john 21 after jesus resurrection here's where we find peter he's he's kind of stuck in failure and maybe you feel like that this morning that you're kind of stuck in failure you know I, i've always thought that a series on failure would be an awesome series And at some point I may preach, I used to talk about that from time to time at Trenton, and and one of my older guys didn't like that ideal at all. And he said, I never have failed. And i got to tell you, folks, I have failed. (laughs) There has been failure in my life. Not not just sin failure, but there's been things that I thought was a good ideal that wasn't a good ideal. I know no one else out there has ever experienced that. And, And I think we need to learn And I think we need to have an honest understanding of failure. I have learned more in failure than in success. And it's not that God wants us to remain in failure. You know, God God wants us to learn from failure and to move because I believe all of life matters. Our successes and our failures matter and God wants us to move into a greater relationship with him no matter where we find ourselves. And so maybe this morning you're coming from a week of failure. I believe God wants to use that week to move you closer to him. Whatever you've been through. You know, how we respond to failures particularly important. And, and how Peter responds in, in John 21 is particularly important to, to his success as a leader in the church of Jesus Christ. As his leader in, in, in the coming days in Acts. And I'm not going to put it on the screen. You can look at it because it's a, a longer reading again. But John chapter 21 Beginning verse 1, and I'm reading, I believe, out of the NIV today. It's on my notes, I think it's NIV. But you can follow along, it's not going to be on the screen. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciples, disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die, but only if, he, if I want him to remain alive until I return. What is that to you? Now, there are several important things I want us to see in relation to forgiveness In this passage, and I think the first thing is this, true forgiveness follows an honest acceptance of our failure. In this passage, there's several things that happens that that Jesus is bringing Simon Peter back to a point where he can see how he's failed. we, We see Jesus... With this great catch, and and this is a reminder of how Simon Peter was first called to be a fisherman of man. This great catch, this is Jesus reminding Peter that I have called you, and it was in a miracle that I called you. We see Jesus with with this, this um um Same fire, he uses uh, coal fire and and this is the same fire that you find uh, only two times you see this in scripture. It's used here and when Peter is in the courtyard outside where Jesus is being tried. And so it's the same kind of fire burning. And as Peter is approaching uh, Jesus on the shore, I just really believe even in his senses, he's remembering a time when he has just felled, when he has just denied Jesus. When we see Jesus... Saying to him three times, do you love me? A reminder of, of, of Peter's three denials of Jesus. Jesus is purposefully bringing Peter back to his point of failure. He says, do you love me more than these? And, and in using this kind of language, Jesus is reminding Peter of his boldness of saying, I'm going to, I'm going to follow you regardless of what all these other guys do. See, all that's going on, Jesus is reminding him of his failure. Be honest, Peter. S- see yourself for who you are. See your failure as it is. Don't, don't gloss over it. Honestly accept it. You know there, There's something about honestly accepting it when we mess up. Don't, don't you appreciate it when, when somebody messes up with you? They don't try to gloss it over. They don't try to act like it's something that it's not. But they just say, you know, I really messed up. This well, past month I was at Taco Bell in, um, in Marysville. And oh, I said the restaurant. I wasn't going to say the restaurant. It wasn't Taco Bell. It was another restaurant in town. and the service was great there but another restaurant i went to <laughs> it was awful i mean they were lined up around the store and, and and we were lined up in there and it was like 25 minutes 30 minutes to get a simple order <laughs> not a taco, <laughs> not a taco. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and when the girl behind the counter handed me my order, no lie, she went, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you know, the laughter kind of made me think that really she wasn't all that sorry. You know, not that I got all bent out of shape and didn't call the manager, it wasn't a big deal. But, but, but you know, there wasn't any true contrition in her remark. She, she didn't seem to be really sorry, and I, I really don't think that she understood <laughs> See, God wants us to learn from our failures. He wants us to, to not to continue to fail. And if that's going to be the case, somehow we, we've got to move past and we've got to honestly accept what's going on in our life. And Peter had to seize failure for what it was. You know, it's possible in a congregation this size that, that you've not honestly accepted the failure and maybe you've not made things right that you should have made right, and you've just moved on, and you've just accepted, and there's a way that you could make things right, and you've just not done it. You know, part of um, We did Celebrate Recovery at Trenton, and one of their things was going back and, and repairing past relationships, and, and the phrase they use, unless it would do more harm. So I'm not calling you to do something that would cause more harm, but if there's a way... If there's a sin, that there's some way you need to make it right. I believe true forgiveness involves this ideal of making things right with other folks. And Peter needed to see his sin for what it was. And he needed to move to a point where he could honestly accept his failure if he wanted to fully accept God's forgiveness. There's a second thing, forgiveness Finds us where we are and in this passage Jesus three times says do you love me but the language is really interesting because the first two times Jesus says do you agape do you love me like God loves you and both times Peter responds you know Jesus I filio love you I love you like a brother do you love me like God loves you you know Jesus I love you like a brother twice And then the third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you filio love me? (laughs) Do you even love me like a brother? And I think there's something significant in that. And I think the significance is this, that that God finds us where we are, that that, that truthfully, I never can get to the point where where I can love God enough to deserve his forgiveness. But God says, can you love me with every fiber of your being? (laughs) Can you just accept me where you are? And this morning, God's plan is for you to accept him where you are. To, to just kind of receive what he has for you where you are. But, but see, there's more to it. And, 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 the, and the next thing that I need is we need to see is to, is to be forgiven, is to accept the love and the plan of God. In other words, it's not just. It's not just seeing ourselves where we're at, and it's, it's not just, just accepting God where we're at, but God's calling us to something more. See, I, I think we have a faulty version or a faulty understanding of repentance in the evangelical church. We, we, we tend to think that, well, to get saved, to, to repent, is to come and kneel and give God a list of my sins. And, 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 and once I've given him the list of the sins, that's it. But that's not repentance, folks. It never has been repentance. Repentance is not just a change of mind. Repentance is a change of life. And Jesus doesn't just invite us to change our mind, but he invites us to change our life. And he's saying, Peter, there's forgiveness. And at the end of forgiveness is there's this new way of doing life where you are feeding my sheep and you are following my plan. Bonhoeffer calls it cheap grace you know a grace that doesn't cost us anything that you know we just we mentally accept and we say we have faith and 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 that's the end of the transaction but but see repentance is this this is the image of repentance it's turn around go in the other direction jesus is saying peter you're going the wrong way you know if you want to live in my forgiveness You've got to turn around and start going the other direction. We're going to close with communion this morning. And I love communion, and then the images of communion are, are so powerful. You know, in, 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 in communion, you have this great symbol of forgiveness. You know, and, and the ideal of taking communion is this ideal of confession and forgiveness. But communion's about more than just confession and forgiveness. This is a family meal. And, and so, in the, in the act of communion, in the act of receiving the elements of eating together, uh, there's also this imagery of a community being one, one table. You know, we don't go and eat on our own and do this on our own, but, you know, this is something we do together. And so there's this ideal that in Christ we find this healing of community and this healing of relationship with God, and and we're sitting at the table, and Christ is at the head, and as we're sitting at our Father's table, there's this ideal that we're called to something more. So before we receive communion, I guess, I'm going to give you a chance first just to kind of, all heads bowed, all eyes closed, just to have some moments of confession. I'm going to ask Joe and Christy to come and Vicki to come and play. Lord, right now I pray that you'll help us. If there's something we need to confess, may we confess it. Lord, for us to trust you, we must live in your love. And to live in your love is to accept your forgiveness. So now, Lord, help us as we receive communion to do so with clean hearts. But, Lord, a clean heart is more than just a being forgiven of my past, but it's presenting to you my future. But as I walk out these doors, as I have repented, Lord, I'll find myself in your plan and in your will.